Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And your co-host, Allie. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we are going to kind of revisit one of our um, episode types where we like to give people information if you as a listener or a loved one are getting ready for a particular type of procedure, how you might be able to get ready. Yeah, and this topic is kind of, it sounds kind of scary to me. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. So I'm going to be learning again. It seems to be a common thing in every episode, but I'm going to be learning right alongside with our listeners. Well, we're getting to Halloween, so we saved oh. the scary ones for <laughs> this time of year. Yeah, no, we just did, kidding. We did the blood restriction training. Exactly. And now we're doing? Spinal fusion. Spinal fusion. It sounds like to me, if someone was just getting the segments in their spines like fused together. Basically, that's it. Um, in a simple sense, if you think about your back like Lego blocks, the Legos stack one on top of the other. So sometimes those Lego blocks or vertebrae can um, become misaligned. So they're not stacked exactly one on top of the other. One might be forward or one might be backwards. They call that an anterolisthesis or a retrolisthesis. It's just basically sliding. So the vertebrae can slide on one another. Or the vertebrae could shrink down in height, so they wouldn't be a normal size of a block. They might be half that size. All these things create nerve compression. And so when nerves get compressed, that affects us in a couple of different ways. Um, It can cause pain, uh, it can cause weakness, and it can eventually cause damage to the nerve. And so, um, you know, spinal fusion uh, really got popular maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, and maybe was a little bit overdone, like we jumped to it right away, a little bit too early. That was people's first option. Well, it was a new, exciting surgery. They thought it was going to have better outcomes. They thought there was going to be just like everyone who had these, you know, back issues or pain, let's go ahead and fuse them and they'll feel better. And what we learned is that that wasn't always the case. So, especially if we're talking about lumbar. So we divide fusions kind of into two areas, uh, lumbar and cervical. So in your lower back and in your neck. Okay. Sometimes they'll do fusions in your mid-back, in your thoracic spine, they call it. But that's usually reserved for really, really complicated um, deformities from scoliosis or birth deformities or maybe some sort of, you know, really intense fracture or cancer or something like that. So they're very much less, very less common. Because that's like where you bend, right? So like if you were to fuse any of these or all of these areas, I feel like you would just be walking around like a stick person. Yeah. So there is some, you know, give and take. So if you get to the point where you need a fusion, you're willing to give up a little bit of mobility for an improvement or a um, saving of the nerve. So if we kind of go back to focusing on lumbar for just a minute, um, you know, and you have a nerve that's compressed and maybe it's causing pain in your leg and eventually causing weakness in your leg. If that's not uncompressed, you could get to a point where that nerve's going to be damaged and you lose function in those muscles. Yeah, so it can be a pretty severe issue. 
um, you can eventually get to the point, you know, where you couldn't walk or couldn't stand or couldn't do those sort of things. So you'd be willing to give up a little bit of movement and order to, you know, save that muscle or save that nerve. Uh, today's fusion techniques are much, much better okay. where there's really not as much loss of range of motion as there used to be. Good. And <laughs> we're talking about an area, if we're talking again about lumbar, you have like five vertebrae. So five of those Lego blocks that stack up. When they fuse, they're typically going to fuse one or two together, right. not like all five. Right. So you're still going to have some range of motion. They talk about one level and two level spinal fusions. So they could do you know, two vertebrae together or fuse three vertebrae together. So they're talking about fusing one or two levels of that. That's just a lot. Well, again, I think the important thing here is that it's a situation where someone had, you know, it's they're they're at a point where they may not have another choice. Okay. You know, so I think one of the big things, again, about, um, you know, our mission here would be educate and prepare. So if you have a loved one or you yourself, maybe your physician has talked to you about, hey, you need a spinal fusion. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's important to talk about kind of what are the things to get yourself ready, you know, for that process. So um, I've had several patients that have been told maybe, okay, you're going to need a fusion at some point. And so I think when patients hear that, sometimes they think, well, that means I need to just sit and have this fusion done at some point when it gets so bad. It's already on my schedule. (laughs) Exactly. And sometimes, you know, um, I think that process of the sitting and waiting, you know, things get worse. Right. You develop more stiffness, more weakness. You know, you're not as mobile. You're not as active. So we see that then if you go into surgery like that, you're going to come out all the much worse. So. We've talked in other episodes in preparing for surgery about prehab. Right. You know, so I think prehab for spinal fusion is often overlooked. But my opinion and experience as a therapist would be is that it's really, really important. And so if you are a patient or, again, have a loved one that's been told they need a fusion, um, I would encourage them to get some prehab or if they've had therapy leading up to this to continue what they've been doing. Okay. Provided it's under control with their pain but if they're able to tolerate it continue to be as active as they can that makes sense could therapy possibly save them from getting the surgery well i think that's a really good question and i think the exciting thing is that a lot of um you know physicians and patients um are starting to see that yeah they should try all of the conservative methods first okay and so You know, you don't want to go to fusion as a first line treatment unless there was something really, um, you know, just like a fracture or a car accident Mm -hmm. or cancer or something like that. You know, that's going to be an odd case for the typical patient. They're going to have conservative treatment first. So PT is really the first place to start in terms of anytime you have back pain nerve pain, numbness, tingling, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, physical therapy is a great place to start. Has it, it ever happened? Has it ever happened where a patient wouldn't need a fusion? After th- receiving physical therapy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had patients that have been told, you know, hey, you know, I, I'm not sure what can be done. You might need a fusion. The patient might say, I want to go ahead and try physical therapy, and they're able to abate it or, or put it off for nice. sure. Um, I think... You know, 
again, you just have to qualify it on the individual patient mm-hmm. and what symptoms are they having. You know, you do get into an issue when you start talking about nerve compression where there's a limited amount of time that you have to make sure that, you know, the nerve has good blood supply and okay. isn't under too much stress because you can start to risk nerve damage. Makes sense. So what does spinal fusion look like? Like, how does a surgery work? What do they fuse it with? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, like 20 years ago when they were doing spinal fusions, when I first started treating patients, mm-hmm. I remember these patients would be in the hospital, you know, for like a week. I mean, they would Just have like a brace. In the bed. Yeah, they would be, you know, it was a very, very big surgery, big incisions, oftentimes Ooh. a cut through the front and of the stomach and then oh through the back God. as well. And I think it's probably an area that has had the most advancements in surgical techniques. Is it one of those that, like, they barely leave with a quarter-sized scar now? Well, yeah. So now it's pretty cool. I mean, they have, I mean, there's still, you know, it's not arthroscopic completely, you know, like an arthroscopic joint where you would have just a very small pinhole size incision. Um, There's a small incision, but they're very, very small. In comparison. In comparison to what they used to be. Um, Most times, there's not an incision in the front and back anymore. There's just an incision in the back. Some surgeons will still do an incision in the front and back, just depending on what area they need to get to. Interesting. Um, But these patients are, they're getting up and they're moving so much sooner and they're going home and they're so much more comfortable Right. And so I think that there's been a tremendous amount of advancement. Um, so I think, again, to the patient kind of preparing for this or a loved one preparing for it, um, don't listen to your friends that had it done 10, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's changed a little bit. <laughs> it's changed quite a lot. Um, I think you want to be ready to do outpatient therapy. You know, okay. um, it's going to require building back strength, building back flexibility, um, you know, teaching your body how to move again. Um, so when I do think, they start that? Yeah, I think people are typically going to be in therapy, um, you know, depending on their surgery and what was done, you know, as, as early as a week. Oh, wow. Um, it may be four to six weeks before they start. It yeah. just kind of depends on, again, what was done. But nowadays we see we see folks starting therapy after fusion much, much sooner. So, like, if they went and got their fusion done at a hospital and they said, okay, to get into our therapy, it's going to take four to six weeks, but they want to start earlier, is there an option? If it's safe, for sure. I mean, people have choice. They can go wherever they want for physical therapy. So, that's right. (laughs) I was testing you there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as long as from a clinical standpoint, it's safe and effective for them to begin therapy at that time. Awesome. In preparation for fusion, you know, I think... um, You know, folks might want to think about having alternatives to maybe where uh, if their their work requires a lot of sitting, um, not not a lot of people are comfortable right away. So having alternate positions, being able to sit, stand, walk, move around a little bit. So if you do desk work, you know, having a standing uh, desk or having a standing desk option is really helpful. Um, Obviously, if you're doing physical work, a lot of lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling. Um, you know, that's probably going to be delayed. It could be as soon as a month. It could be as long as three to six months before you're back to that sort of thing. Um, Some patients can't go back to that sort of thing. So it just kind of depends. We've we've talked before about work conditioning and work hardening on our program. And um, a lot of patients, if they have a fusion and they have a very physical demanding job, 
um, they may be doing a program like that where they may need something more than traditional acute physical therapy just to get them back to where they were. Test it out before they throw them back into work. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, again, it's usually not one episode or one day that leads to spinal fusion. This has been a process and it's been something that's been progressive. So depending on where the patient is um, in that deterioration, that's going to determine what level they can get back to and how long that takes. Right. So again, my advice would be as soon as that deterioration's beginning, prehab mm-hmm. and trying to be as active as possible ahead of time is going to cut off a lot of that shutdown and, you know, just loss of strength, loss of mobility, those sort yeah. of things that we see in folks. So we've talked a lot about prehab and what to do in preparation of the surgery. Now, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot in previous episodes with, you know, rotator cuff and the knee surgeries and hip surgeries and the things they need to remember and to take into consideration when going home from these surgeries. Now, spinal fusion just sounds as if like, oh, I got a spinal fusion. I can't lay on my back and go to sleep. Yeah, so most patients actually are told to lay on their back or side. Really? And not lay on their stomach um, because it's actually going to put your back more in an extended position, which is going to put a little bit more stress on things. Okay. Um, You know, we talk and teach patients a lot about log rolling, which means it's (laughs) like a technique to get in and out of bed. So instead of sitting straight up out of bed like a sit-up, you would roll to your side, put your legs off the edge of the bed, and then sit up on the side. Um, So it's just a progressive way to sit and stand versus putting a lot more stress and just sitting straight up. I think that's how I get out of bed anyway. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people do default to that. And like I said, I'm doing it right. A lot of people have had kind of progressive issues in their back. So they may know some of those techniques as far as how to move around a little bit. Um, In terms of kind of things at home, you know, most patients aren't going to need a walker. Most patients aren't going to need a cane. Some do um, if they've had, again, a lot of weakness in their leg mm-hmm. or pain in their leg. Sometimes in the short term, you know, back to the Lego block analogy, if the Lego was half its height and you did a fusion and now in order to decompress the nerve, the the vertebrae is lifted up or the Lego block height is increased, that can sometimes put a little bit of short-term tension on the nerve. And so sometimes patients' leg symptoms, their pain or numbness tingling, could get a little bit worse before it gets a little better. Um, (laughs) So that's just something for patients to be aware of. Don't be alarmed by that. Some folks wake up and feel fantastic. A whole new person. You know, they don't have the pain that they used to have, but that's not always the case. Often, you know, weeks down the road, everybody feels better. Mm -hmm. But sometimes just that initial time period, it can be a little bit sore. Um, Most patients aren't going to wear a back brace or use anything like that. Some patients would. Um, maybe older patients or if they did have to do several levels or there was some, you know, contributing factor like that, there may be a back brace that would be involved, but most patients are not going to use one. So like those turtle shells that you see on some people, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it could be that. It could be a a clamshell type brace. It's harder. Um, Oftentimes patients that may have an issue with um, bone density or bone healing, if they had some sort of complicating medical mm-hmm. factor related to how their bone heals, uh, they may need that kind of a brace. Uh, some physicians like to use that kind of a brace in the initial time period just to make sure everything's healing well, um, but most don't nowadays. Um, sometimes patients will use a softer brace when they return to activity, so maybe for the first few months when they start 
gardening or if they do mm-hmm. go back to work or something like that, they may use a brace until they get their muscle strength built up. Which is a little reminder that you just yeah. you just had surgery. Don't take it too hard. As a therapist, I'm always a fan of building the brace from the inside out, building the brace with the muscles there instead of using the brace. Because oftentimes in a, bra- in a back brace, your muscles are going to go on a little vacation. And so they're just going to mm-hmm. kind of shut down. So it's okay in the interim or it's okay to help someone get back into something. Um, but I would say the ultimate goal is not to not to use it long term. Nice. So I don't think you answered my question. What do they fuse your spine with? Is it super It's glue? hardware. Yeah, so it's hardware. There's rods and pins that they Ooh. use in place to kind of hold the bones together. Have you seen this being done? I've observed uh, spinal fusion surgeries, seen lots of patients after spinal fusion surgery, seen x-rays, um, you know, after the surgery and... You know, it's it sounds more gruesome than it is. It's yeah. not like the patient feels the hardware or anything. It's right. no different than hardware for any other joint replacement or fracture that's used. Um, you know, the bone is going to cover that. The patient doesn't know it's there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like you can feel it or anything like that. Um, and oftentimes, this is done for instability or for movement of those vertebrae. So once they get stabilized, the patients, you know, feel better, report that things are better. They can yeah. then you know, build that strength back up and kind of get back to activity. That's awesome. I would just encourage patients. I think, um, you know, the big thing is ask a lot of questions, you know, understand the process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I said, often this is a progressive thing. So patients more than likely have had epidurals maybe that didn't work or had other um, simpler back surgeries over the years that didn't work or certainly should have tried physical therapy, you know, so... (laughs) Um, but ask questions along the way and prepare yourself. I would just say that, you know, don't anticipate, oh, I'm not going to do anything to get physically ready for surgery. I'm going to go have surgery and wake up and feel perfect Uh and not have to do anything physically to get better afterwards. Expectation versus reality, huh? Exactly. (laughs) It's a process, you know, it's no different than when we talk about patients that are getting ready for a knee replacement. I think mentally getting yourself prepared for what you're about to undergo and for the requirements that it's going to take from a commitment of time, of effort, of, you know, rehab, recovery, that sort of thing. I think, again, to your point, Allie, just helps you get those expectations matched with reality. Um, Most patients are going to feel really good in three to six months. Um, Most surgeons are going to talk about a year for full recovery. But... It's worth it in the end. Yeah, if that's what you need and that's what you have to have to, you know, get to where you are functionally and to keep your, you know, nerves and and body healing and safe, certainly. Um, Again, ultimately, I would encourage folks, utilize direct access. There you go. And come to physical therapy (laughs) when you start to feel the pain or problem. So hopefully you can avoid these kind of more complicated things down the road. And who knows, whoever um, is listening to this and may have a spinal fusion on their radar in the next month, they could be Frankenstein by Halloween. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> hopefully they'll be moving much better than he was. So they don't <laughs> they don't put the bolts on the outside of him like they did. So oh. <laughs> that they, would be a different kind of surgery, wouldn't it? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for listening. I hope this helped any of you or your loved ones if they are planning to get a fusion soon. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I just want to send a reminder to all of our listeners as well. We really love having you here and we love seeing all the five-star reviews that we have had. But if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and leave your review if you want to continue listening to Matt and I. That's right. (laughs) Because we love giving you direct access to Oxford Physical Therapy, right? 
Awesome. All right. <laughs> we'll talk right, to you guys, guys soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com. And you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms. And until next time, keep it moving.